Our Old Testament reading for today begins with God taking issue with something that the people of Israel had begun to repeat, which was, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So for a little background on where this is coming from, this is during the exile to Babylon. So in 597 B.C., uh, Jerusalem fell to the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Uh, King Jehoiachin, the nobility of Judah, and much of the population were then resettled in southeastern Mesopotamia. It's really, they were exiled there. 600 miles from their home, from the land that God had promised and given to them, they watched as their temple and their cities were utterly destroyed. And the prophet Ezekiel was there for the whole thing. He saw it all happen. In fact, he warned them that this was going to happen. Um, but they didn't listen. You know, he called them to repentance, and they didn't. So now the people are taken into exile. And what they begin to say over and over and over again is, the fathers have eaten sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on edge. Which is basically just their way of saying, of complaining and saying, this is not fair. This should not be happening. So they're saying their, their teeth are set on edge, meaning they are suffering judgment from God because the sour grapes that their fathers ate, because of the sins of their fathers. So it's just their way of saying, this is not fair. We didn't do anything. The general idea is that God has acted unfairly. He's punishing the children for the sins of their fathers. It was their father's idolatry, their father's unbelief, their father's refusal to repent and turn to God that surely was to blame. I mean, what else could it possibly be? Well, God's sick of hearing this. <laughs> he says, yeah, this little proverb that you guys are, are saying a lot of, yeah, stop it. Just enough. Okay? And he goes on to say, look, all souls belong to me, your father's and yours. And here's the deal. The soul who sins shall die. There you go. God isn't holding anybody responsible for the sins of anybody else. Not those who went before them. Nobody. Each person is held accountable for their own sins. Which is kind of the gist of the, the middle section that we got kind of excised out of our, our reading today. <laughs> I'm not sure why they skipped over it. But uh, basically in, in that little chunk that we missed, God explains this further and saying, hey, each person is accountable for their own life. You know, the one who is faithful and righteous lives. The one who sins dies. It's not news. They've heard this for centuries. God has laid this all out pretty, pretty clearly. And yet they still complain. They still say, the way of the Lord is not just. You're being unfair. Our fathers definitely deserve this. But not us. And it was really interesting that this text came up um, this week because we, we hear echoes of this reverberating in our world today, this, this complaint about the sins of the past. You know, and, and in so many ways, you know, and in all corners of our society, you know, the, the sins of the past, whether it's those from a person's past or from long ago, from their forefathers, those are, are identified as the roots of all the problems in our society. You know, they've created this mess that we're in right now. And, and everybody is just set on edge by it. You know, there, there are some who cry out, well, 
to think that way is not fair. It's not justice because this isn't my fault. How can I be held responsible for the sins of anybody who went before me? And then there are others that cry out because they are seriously affected by the sins of those who lived and died centuries ago. So who's right? <laughs> who's right? Well, our, if we're to answer that, you know, it's always the same. I'm right. <laughs> Whoever's answering the question. You know, wh- whatever side of the equation you fall into, <laughs> that's the right side, right? But what does God say about that? Because his opinion is the only one that matters. Well, to this question, he responds, well, is it not your ways that are not just? <laughs> Which is God's way of saying, hey, you're all wrong, <laughs> every one of you. And again, he, he, he lays it out simply. He says, look, when, when a righteous person turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he'll die for it. When a wicked person turns away from his wickedness and does what is right, he'll live. God will judge each person according to their ways, either the way of repentance and faith or the way of unbelief. Not rocket science. And it's so tempting for us to look at this from within kind of our, our nice little Christian bubble and say, yeah, 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 we know, we get, we get this. We went through catechism. We've been hearing this every Sunday for years. But we're not the problem. It's everybody out there who doesn't get that. They're the ones making a mess of things because they don't understand this. They're the reason things are so crazy right now. If only they understood what we do. If only they, they, they heard you speak, then they would, they would understand. And that's when we hear God again saying, Oh, well here now, O Christian, is it not your ways that are unjust? It's like, ooh, ouch. Because everybody, everybody fixates on the sins of others. Inside the church, outside the church, it doesn't matter. Everybody does it. Honestly, I think it's our favorite thing. I mean, I think that explains most reality TV. <laughs> Seriously, we, we love it. Because it gives us, a, well, I mean, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Like there's always somebody worse. But ultimately, it gives us a scapegoat. It gives us to lay, uh, a chance to lay the blame somewhere besides us. It keeps us from dealing with the fact that we are totally and completely responsible for the sin in our own hearts. It gives us a glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, God will go easy on us because clearly we're the victim here. We're the victim of the sins of others, the sins of our parents, of everybody else around us. And you know what? Whether that's true or not, God's response is to put everything aside and and to come to us and go one-on-one with us, to shut everything else out and get very personal. And he says, fine. Therefore, I will judge you according to your ways, just yours. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. So turn and live. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. Cast away all the sin you've committed and make yourself a new heart, and a new spirit. Which, frankly, is terrifying. (laughs) I mean, the first part is is fine. It's good. When he says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, awesome. 
He says, uh, turn and live. That sounds great. But when he tells us to cast away our sin, to make ourselves a new heart and a new spirit, there's the problem. Is how can we do that? I mean, the whole reason we fixate on the sins of others is because we can't deal with our own. We don't want to deal with our own. I can't just cast away my sin. I can't just make myself a new heart and a new spirit. That's why we have Jesus. Because none of us can do this. It's impossible. What God requires of us, we cannot do. But the beautiful thing that is embedded here is that in the same breath that God calls us to do the impossible, he reassures us that he wants us to live. And if he wants us to live, he will provide that life. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to be our salvation, to be our repentance, to be our righteousness, so that he creates within us a new heart and deliver his spirit through baptism whom he nourishes and strengthens through his word, his body and blood. God does the very thing that we cannot do. He forgives. Through Jesus Christ, our life, our our hope, our comfort, our peace, our everything, he forgives us completely. He calls us righteous because he is righteous. And in our baptism, we are now in him. See, this is the awesome thing that happens in this place. When we are gathered together around God's word and sacraments, we are transformed. We are changed here. We can no longer go out and play the blame game (laughs) to dwell and recall the sins of the past because those sins we know have been nailed to the cross. They're dead. They're buried. And this is what we have, a treasure to share with people outside these walls, who are hurting, who are burdened by the weight of not only their own sins, but the sins of their fathers, the sins of all those who came before them. We can share this message with them, a message of of relief and hope. We can share with them the forgiveness that has set us free. We can show them the Father who desires that they don't die in sin, but turn and live in Him. We can show them the Son who died for all those sins that have caused so much grief in their life. We can show them the Holy Spirit who washes them clean and speaks words of peace and reconciliation into their hearts. The thing is, if we want to see real change in our world, this is where it happens. In this new heart and new spirit that God has created in you, through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So in Paul's words, be glad and rejoice because through Christ you are no longer exiles. You have all been brought home. Amen.